Good morning, good morning, everybody. Let's try that again. Good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Derek, uh, the lead pastor of Connect. So great to have you with us this morning. Uh, we're in the final installment of our series, God of the Underdogs. How many excited uh, just to be here this morning? You guys glad to be here? All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be good. Turn to your second choice and say, it's going to be real good. And you look like you need it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, in just a second, I'm going to bring a special announcement. I just want to say that the premise for this series has been that there's an underdog in all of us. There's a part of our life that we're struggling in. That's something that we want to overcome. And maybe there's something that sidelined us or sidetracked us. And it can be any number of uh, human malady. And so this series is basically, the premise of it is that when the odds are against us, God is God is for us. And so we're trying to discover through the scriptures how we can apply them to our life, not on just on Sundays, but on between Sundays, you know, the, the meat of our lives where we can get God interacting and, and his intervention into the daily parts of our lives. And so that's what this series is about. But what I want to quickly do, because sometimes our attention goes elsewhere towards the end of the services, I want to point you to our next series. Um, the next series is really important for those of you who are uh, you know, consider yourself spiritual family of this church. Some of you are frequent flyers. You know, the, the, you, if somebody asked you, is this your church, you'd say yes, but you kind of haven't just taken that next step. You haven't really completely bought in. Some of you on the fringe, just checking it all out, and that's cool. And, uh, but there's family here, and I'm talking to you. Um, this series is, is really our vision series. We're, we're getting ready to uh, move forward. We're getting ready to take the ball a little bit further down the field as we go forward as a church. You know, uh, church, sometimes people have this mentality that, you know, it's just, it's, it's a club. It's a clique. It's us four and no more. And we're praying in the corner, and we're right, we're right, and they're wrong, and they're wrong. And I don't know where all that stuff comes in, but we're, we exist to reach, not just keep. You understand that? We're a reaching church, and so we're called Connect Community Church. That means we're supposed to connect the disconnected. We're supposed to help people that are disenfranchised, discouraged, disconnected from God, and get them in a place where they can have a vibrant faith, they have a spiritual family, and they have friends that change the course and trajectory of their lives. And so our series, uh, next series, it's going to seem like it has nothing to do with that, but it has everything to do with that. And the next series is called Economics. And I want to show you just this clip and then I'll uh, plug it a little bit more. Amen? Check this out. This video is awesome, by the way. Next week, we'll start a new series where we'll see how 
money is connected to ministry. A lot of times people think of money in bad terms. And a lot of times, and maybe even here this morning, like, oh boy, I came to church for the first time, and the first thing they're going to talk about is money. How many know that at Connect, we don't talk about money all the time? Raise your hand. Isn't that true? We don't even, we don't pass a plate. We don't guilt people into giving. We just, but the Bible talks about giving a lot, right? In fact, there's a ton of scripture about it. There's 2,100 scriptures about giving. The Bible says in John 3:16, for God so loved the world, he, he gave. So Jesus is the subject of the Bible. We're the object, but giving is the verb. And so we want to see how God wants us to contribute to his ministry. To be able to change the world, we've got to see that sometimes dollars are connected to souls. Dollars slash slash souls equal souls. And so I want to show you as we go forward in this series, specifically talking to our family, everybody else you get to kind of listen in, that God created you to do something more. He wants you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And at Connect, we have a vision for that. And a lot of times people shy away from the subject because of the abuse or they abuse it and go crazy with it. So we're going to find a healthy balance as we go forward in the series next week. Amen? Amen. Excited about that? All right, anyway, today we're going to talk about another person in our series, God of the Underdogs, that we don't know a lot about, but pretty cool story uh, in John chapter 4. We don't know her name, but we definitely know that the odds are against her. So you can get your worship guides out. You can follow along on version. For those of you who have that, the worship guide is right inside that, or you can just use your, your worship guide, your bulletin that you received this morning. We're going to be primarily reading from John chapter 4. Most of the text we'll read there this morning. But this particular woman, the odds were clearly stacked against her, and I believe this woman is or is like us at some point in our life. Uh, In fact, um, this woman had a hole in her heart, a big hole in her heart, and she she had needs. We all have needs, don't we? We all all have uh, unmet needs that are trying to get met. If you're you're a uh, a counselor, you, you, you always... Try to identify what is the drivers, the hidden motives that cause people to do certain things, certain aberrant behaviors or whatever. And so we all have needs that want to be met. Unfortunately, often in the pursuit of seeing those needs met, we dig ourselves deeper into the hole trying to get whole, right? And so we try to get our needs met through sometimes uh, possessions, boys and their toys, You know what I'm saying? And we try to get our needs met uh, in relationships. We try to get our needs met through achievement and uh, accomplishments. And anyway, this particular woman, uh, you know, she lost her way. She was going about it. And and when she she lost her way, and in the process, uh, she got further and further behind. This this, this one we're going to talk about is the woman at the well. Everybody say the woman at the well. She kept trying to get her need met through, uh, through relationships with men. And this is not an uncommon story today. I've sat front and center in many counseling situations to see uh, this particular behavior repeat itself. But today, let's just see what happened and what Jesus did to try to save her. And at the end of the day, we're going to see why Jesus came. Why Jesus came to her, why Jesus came into this world, why Jesus came to many of you. He came actually to save people. Not to scare them, but to save them. And he went out of his way actually. God came from heaven to earth to show us the way. We used to sing the song. But in this story, you're going to see how he went out of his way to try to save this Samaritan woman, this woman at the well. And this message has kind of two thoughts to it, that God wants to, under, kind of under the hood of it all, that God wants to save us. And then if we've been saved, we've been rescued by him, we should want to go and give that away. Christianity is like breathing. You take it in. If you don't exhale it, you get weird. How many know some weird Christians out there? You know what I'm saying? 
Some of you thought there's some weird Christians in the room this morning because they're raising their hands and somebody's crying and somebody's shouting. They're just loving Jesus. They're not on drugs. They're just on Jesus juice. They love, they're just loving God. And we believe that anything we love, anything we love, come on. So we're just showing it. That's all. We show it last night because the Red Sox won. Come on, somebody. So people get excited about that because we're going to the World Series. But when it sometimes it comes to Jesus, we're like, oh, Hush, hush. The Son of God, you know, the one who saved me. We ought to be excited about that. So God wants us to, he wants to save us and he wants us to help other people. Look at John chapter 4, verse 3. It says this. It says, he left Judea, speaking of Jesus, and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. If you were, you know, a person who liked to underline in your Bible, that'd be a cool thing to underline. He needed to go through Samaria. And this, in other words, was a divine compulsion. This was, uh, he, he, he wanted, he was on a mission. He was on an assignment. And so he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, very significant in Jewish tradition. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, about noontime in Jewish tradition. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now there's a lot more dialogue here that we'll talk about, but basically, here's the idea. Every person is thirsty, truthfully. At the end of the day, there's a thirst that needs to be uh, quenched. Every person needs a drink. Every person needs, and I'm going to speak in spiritual terms here, and hopefully you can catch it, needs an encounter with God for that thirst to be quenched. And this woman needed that. In this passage, we have the master himself actually teaching her and indirectly teaching us how to get our thirst quenched. And you will see clearly as we move forward. And I'm going to read, again, many verses, but uh, there's some key thoughts as we go forward. Jesus goes out of his way to try to connect with her in order to save her. And the goal of the master wasn't to try to get her to drink uh, a water, but to drink living water, to quench the, 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 the inner need that we all have. We all have these drivers. You know, um, Dr. Larry Crabb, he's a Christian uh, counselor. He has this book he wrote... Um, it's just, it's just it's a fantastic author. But basically, he says there's three major needs in a person's life. There's the need for security. There's the need for significance. I want to make my stamp. I want to make a difference. I want to, you know, I want to accomplish something that matters and outlasts me. I, I, I want to have intimacy. I want to find in this life a relationship where somebody loves me as I really am. But the world, how, do you, how many of you know the world offers some pretty ugly alternatives to that? And some options, and, some, and oftentimes some distractions that can destroy us. And so Jesus is here trying to save this woman and rescue her. But there's an excuse that kind of gets in the way, and this is going to take some time for it to come clear to you, but there's an excuse that sometimes gets in the way of us being rescued by God. Because we're basically saying, God, um, I, I, I know what you want to give me, but I, I got some things I need to do first. I, 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 I want to follow you, but uh, if I follow you, then I can't have him. And so we compromise, or I can't have her, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. If I say yes, you're going to send me to the mission field in, you know, Timbuktu, under, you know, a, 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 a mud hut, and I'll have nothing. So God, I, I need to do what I want before I can do what you want. And so our excuse is this, and this is in your notes. I can't do what you want until I get what I want. And I think that's what was going on in this Samaritan woman's life. She said, I, you know, I, 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 there's these wants, these, there's, there's these needs that I have, and I, I, I got to get those things met, and then we'll see about getting 
to business with what you think is important. So Jesus is cool in this story. He works with that, and Jesus knows that. And so Jesus then comes in and he says, basically this, yeah, but what you want, you won't find where you're going. I'll say it again. What you want, you won't find where you're going. You've done it enough times, honey. How's it working out? In other words, when you look at your life or different people's lives where the struggle, the cycle of sin, these patterns of behaviors continuing over and over again, sometimes you kind of have to step back and just go, how's my way working out? How, how, how's my homemade religion working? How's my um, putting my agenda ahead of his working out for me? And so you need to have your need met at a much deeper level. And Jesus is basically telling this woman through this conversation, only I can meet it. Here's the big idea. I believe this with all my heart. Only Jesus can meet your or our deepest needs. Only, only in, not religion, only in relationship with God can our deepest needs be met. So how did Jesus reach this woman and show her the real solution to her problem? How to reach others for Christ is what we're going to talk about a little bit. How to kind of connect the disconnected. Watch the teacher um, so we can become a reacher. you got to see what he does, okay? Here's the first thing. There are two points, and there's going to be a lot packed into these points. There are only two points, but there's these sub-points, okay? The first point is this. When you're talking to somebody, when you're, when you're sharing uh, this, this important value, that only God can meet your deepest need. We know that intellectually. Hopefully we know it experientially. Hopefully we have kind of a, um, a, a revelation knowledge about it. You know, it's like a woman, you know, who knows she's pregnant. We have a lot of those women in this church. <laughs> Our church is multiplying. Babies everywhere. And so, um, but, but a woman who knows she's pre- pre- pregnant, she knows that she doesn't have gnosis. She has the Greek word epinosis. She has a I'm pregnant. You know, a guy says, when a woman's pregnant and married uh, to her, she says, we're, we're pregnant, we're having a baby. Well, you're not pregnant, buddy, the way she's pregnant. You have knowledge, but you don't have knowledge. You understand what I'm saying? God wants us to have a relationship with him that's not just knowledge. The Bible says knowledge puffeth up, but love buildeth up. You want to grow? You have to, have a, you have to have a gnosis, an epinosis, a revelation knowledge of who he is. That's what God wants us to give away. And so when we try to argue with people at this level, we're missing the real important level that can actually help them. Does that make sense? And this is what, ex- this is what the enemy tries to get us to do. It's not so much the person that's our enemy, it's the enemy working sometimes through. You may not believe this, and that's okay. I understand that. But there's a spiritual realm out there at work to try to, try to thwart any and all of your efforts to try to connect people to God. The real, the real, imagine, imagine the enemy knowing what sometimes we don't know. What efforts would he go to to try to stop us or others from connecting with God? He'd go to great efforts, great lengths to make that happen. And I believe sometimes there are spirits out there that do anything in their power to keep people or you from encountering God. I call them the Saturday night spirits. You know, I think we're supposed to, the only thing that should control us is the Holy Spirit. We should be mastered by nothing, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, but the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we, we will we'll surrender to whining spirits. Isn't it interesting that that's the, the follow-up word? Again, I don't have a lot of problem with, you know, be not drunk with wine, 
wherein is excess. In other words, it's okay in moderation, but it's the excess because the excess brings us sometimes to other problems and other situations. But Saturday night spirits, because Saturday night is when they go to work because they want to keep you from church where hopefully there's a church where you can actually encounter God. This happens over and over and over again. My daughter just a little while ago was, in, was reaching out to some friends and just wanted to invite them to church and just kind of investing in this relationship and love this person. But this girl had some struggles. She kept inviting, she kept saying yes, literally week after week after week. And every single Saturday night, something happened so she couldn't be in church. Is that coincidence? Is that a quinky dink? I don't think so. I think that's the enemy sometimes. But anyway, Jesus never gets into the argument with, with this woman. Jesus was never drawn into debate, and so he could have because all the, all the classic arguments are in this conversation that we'll talk about. And I want to show you three ways the enemy tries to stop people from encountering him, all right? Remember, Jesus never argued with the enemy. Jesus never argued with Satan. If you think about it, he never argued with Satan in the, in the scriptures. One time, Satan came to him and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Jesus didn't go, I am the son of God. Shut up. He didn't do that. He just said, it is written, and he moved on. He didn't acknowledge. He wouldn't get into that kind of debate. Anyway, arguments the enemy always uses to stop us. Number one, I'm gonna, I'll give you all three of them if you want. Race, reason, and religion are the three. Race, reason, and religion. They're all in this conversation. Race is the first one. John 4, 9 says, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What she's saying is, you don't understand. Don't you know? We have this history. You know, we're, we're, we're this, you don't like us. And you may not realize this, but the Samaritans were a mixture. There was intermarriage between Jews and Assyrians, and they become the Samaritans. And the Jews would do business with the Samaritans, but they wouldn't inter, interrelate or, or have conversation or have a drink or, or uh, you know, hang out with Samaritans. All right, and so she's basically pointing that out. And to top it off, she's saying, hey, we have this problem, but on top of that, you're talking to me, a woman. So they had a race issue, and they also had a gender issue. And we have to be careful. Listen, Christians, we have to be careful not to let race, culture, ethnicity, uh, social status, gender, or anything stop you from, oh, to cause you to get into an argument with a person because you are talking to a soul. Uh, Samantha was, didn't even know some of the things that she was saying this morning that were confirming the message in our pre-op and a little bit later. But you're talking to a soul, and God loves all people, all different walks of life, all tops, all, all types, excuse me. And this may shock you, and that's okay. Uh, that's what we do here. But I, I don't believe in evolution. That may not shock you, but some people it would. And I know there, that now, actually, in Christianity, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a bent towards mixing creationism and, and evolution together, kind of science and, and, and creation together. And I don't believe that. I believe God created us completely and entirely. But, but did you know that, and you may not realize this, but that every... Uh, it's a strong word, but every bigot out there in the world uh, uses evolution as a part of his argument. I, I don't know if you know that, but in other words, basically what they're saying is they're, they're, their premise is this, is that, it's that one race is, is more significant than another. One is more important. One is higher. One is better than another. And here's what's wrong with that. First of all, we were all created in the image of God, according to his word, in Genesis and beyond. And as a matter of fact, I believe actually, this will really mess some people up, but I believe that evolution is unconstitutional. 
It's not just unbiblical, it's unconstitutional. Our constitution says we were all created, we were created, we were created equal. It doesn't say we evolved equally, it says we were created equal. And by the way, well, with the exception, you know, um, you know women were evolved you know, at a higher capacity than men. They're smarter than men. So with that exception, um, women are smarter than men, right? All right. Brownie points in the house. Brownie points in the house. But we, we have rights that were given to us by our Creator, and that's what our forefathers told us. They knew. They knew what we should know. Galatians 3.28 says in your notes, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Look at all the things. Gender. For you are all one in what? Christ Jesus. You're all one. We are brothers. We have, through Christ, we have the same bloodline. That's why we use the term spiritual family. We're family. We literally are family. So we can't let race cause us to argue. Next, reason. Obviously, God gave us a mind to think and be logical. But look at what this woman says, John 4, 11. The woman said to him, Sir, uh, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where, then, do you get this living water? Now, this is a reasonable question coming from a reasonable woman, I suspect. But he's talking on a spiritual level, and she's, ta- uh, she's talking on a natural level. He's going much deeper than her. And when I'm, when I'm sharing Christ and when you share your faith, we're to share on a spiritual level. We're offering something to someone that they need more. This is, what you have, this is a conviction you've got to hold. More than food or water. More than whatever that natural solution is. More than money or physical health. Are you guys following me out there a little bit? But when we do this, the enemy will kind of throw things out to try to mess it all up. And so you'll be trying to solve the real issue. The spiritual issue, because we're tripart. We're made, we're spirit, mind, and body. And so we're constantly feeding the minds, and we're constantly feeding the body. I know I am. But God wants to nourish us at a spiritual level, because he knows if, if that's in order, everything else gets in order. So he's constantly addressing a spiritual root, and, and, and that, getting that relationship right, knowing that everything else would be right. But, but what the enemy does, he tries to come in and get us to debate and to argue and to reason. And so people will say things, well, what, you're offering something to them. They'll say, well, what about the dinosaurs? Just throw that out at you. When have you cared about the dinosaurs? You know what I mean? What about, you know, the aborigines and other parts? Of the, when have you cared about that? What about when scientists say this or scientists say that? What about all that? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's where kind of the conversation goes. Listen, it's okay to say I don't know about all that. I don't understand all that. I don't grasp all of that. Uh, but what I do know is there was a time, and this is figurative, but there was a time in my life when I was blind, but now I can see. There was a time in my life before when I didn't know him at this level when my life was completely messed up, and now it's completely changed for the better. Are you guys tracking with me? In other words, you are, this is uh, maybe not in your notes, but it's a, it's a good tweet. You are, you are qualified to be a witness because you've had an encounter with God, not because you have a degree from a seminary or a cemetery, as I like to say sometimes. Because there's this subtle lie that you have to know all things. You have to be well-versed in all the cults. You have to uh, have a current understanding of apologetics. And you've got to be able to quote scripture from Genesis to Revelation with perfection, uh, you know, chapter and verse. And we all have to know a lot sometimes before we'll even share a little. And that's a lie. And what they need is an encounter with God. And what you share is your encounter with God. That's what it means to be a witness. You just testify about what has, you've seen and heard, what has happened in your life. Reason. The next one is religion. John 4.20 says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. People want to argue about religion. 
And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And see, he still never argued here. He didn't say, yeah, but the Jews, you know, we know this, and this mountain represents this, and this is our tradition. No, he gives them an answer. He gives her an answer, but he brings her to the solution. He brings her, and he's constantly pulling her back to God. Religion is a man-made barrier. Religion is a man-made barrier. Religion, listen, religion is man's attempt to get to God. But Christ is God's attempt to get to man. That's the difference. That's his effort to get to us. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And I've heard people say things to me, well, my religion says, and my religion says that. And you can just say, just say to them, I'm not talking about religion. That's cool. I'm talking about a relationship. Like, do you, do, do you have a connection with God that is real, that is vibrant, that's alive? I'm not talking about that. And if we start spending some time with people and let them see our lives... You know that 1 Thessalonians tells us to share our very lives with people. But we're so busy. I hate that word. I've taken that word. Some of you saw my thing on Facebook. I couldn't believe how many people responded to that. Um, but I said, I'm just removing busy from my vocabulary. Pray for me that I can do that. Because you know what we have? I have a full life. I'm full. I don't have a busy life because busy says I'm too busy for people. Busy says that I'm more important than you, than you are to me. Busy is, is sometimes has negative connotations. I think it's good to be occupied. I think it's good, better than to be busy than to be sitting on your butt doing nothing. Trust me, I, I, I'm all for hard work. But sometimes we don't have enough space and time to actually open up our lives to somebody else and to be able to reach them. And God wants us to be able to do that. So if we start spending time with people, let them see our lives. Op- you should have an open-door policy at your house. You should be letting people into your lives because that's sometimes where they can see the, where the rubber meets the road. So, well, I don't want them to see that. Well, maybe, maybe that's something, a growth opportunity for you, you know? Think about this. When, this is free, but this is bonus. But when, when, when this is, again, to, to family. When is the last time you had an encounter with God? It's so easy. Even in a church like this, I mean, we're, we're very predisposed to having an experience with God. I mean, we, we strive for that. We pray every Sunday morning that people not just have, like, a, a, a show, but they actually, they actually make a connection with God. You know that we pray for an open heaven. We pray, it's like physically, we're, we're praying the roof comes off and, and God just kind of shows up, manifests himself. We believe in an omnipresent God. He's everywhere all at the same time. But we also believe in a God that can kind of, you know, be on location. Like he was in the Old Testament in that, in that Ark of the Covenant. We, we're, we're praying, you know, God, bring a little bit of that Ark of the Covenant here this morning because we want to encounter God. But a lot of times people can... Put on, on the outside, a, a, a new type of liturgy. It looks, it's expressive, and we're just kind of doing our two-step on the front row, you know, going with the cool music and all that, and getting the beat. But we're really still, it's not penetrating our heart. We're really encountering God. The test of desire is pursuit. How are you pursuing him? Is it five minutes before you pull into the parking lot at church or at work? Is it the final minutes of your day before you go to sleep? Sometimes we have to insulate and isolate ourselves from all the other things. Shut off the phone. Get off Facebook. You know, um, just get away for a little bit and go to a solitary place and connect with God. When you have that connection, now you have something to talk about. Now you have something to give away that people want. And you know what? Even if you don't talk about it, if you've been with God in his presence, it's visible. It's visible. You know, there's an Old Testament parallel New Testament, but, but, you know, when Moses went up and he spent time with God, he came down and and the glory of the Lord shone on his face. And then after a while, it started to get dim. Why did it get dim? Because he needed another encounter with God. Maybe that's what you need. There's no reason to argue 
They and you need an encounter with the living God. Number two, you getting something out of this? Turn to your neighbor and say, this is pretty good. I like this guy. I like this guy. Number two, just talk. All right, so number one, don't argue. Number two, just talk. Just talk. So how do we help people have an encounter with God? How did Jesus help this woman have an encounter with God and and have her deepest need met? He just talked to her, okay? John 4, 7 says, Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to him, and and he said to her, give me a drink. He starts a conversation with her on a natural level, but he quickly leads her to a spiritual level. Our conversation, when I say just talk, talk with intentionality. Talk with a purpose. The truth is, I believe with all my heart that Jesus knew uh, where he wanted this conversation to go. In advance. That's why I think he needed to go to Samaria. That's why I think he asked her this particular question, because he knew it would quickly, he would quickly be able to lead it to a more spiritual uh, uh, solution. I, I think he's capable of getting his own drink. He certainly wasn't, didn't need her to be served. He, he said, the greatest among you is the servant of all. I came to serve and not be served. And so that's not why he started talking to this woman so she could give him a physical drink. He was talking to her so he could actually give her a drink that would quench her thirst at the deepest level possible. And this may be crazy to you and whatever, but I, I love to initiate conversations with people. I actually enjoy it. And, and I learned a secret, and I want to share it with you, and I think you know it, you just forget it sometimes, but I can have a conversation with anyone, anywhere, anytime. And, and, and here's why. I used to think I had to be good at this and know, you know, I used to watch ESPN and try to get all the updates from the sports so I'd have something to talk with somebody. Does anybody know what I'm talking about there? You've done it in business. Come on, man. You know you've done it. All right. Anyway, it's easy to just talk because every person has a favorite subject and you know what it is. You know what everybody's favorite subject is? Everybody do this. Me. You are your favorite subject. And so if you'll talk to people and just ask them some questions about themselves, tell me about your kids. Oh, some moms will just go off. (laughs) Grandparents, even worse about their grandkids. Talk about idolatry. We used to say we had a kid-centric world. Grandparents are a whole other level. My grandkids, oh, oh, oh. Meanwhile, they're talking to their kids. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, your offspring are way better than you. I mean, how did that happen? That's... Hello, you looked at me, they're my offspring, you know? Well, you know, it skipped a generation. I don't know what they're thinking. The people will just, they love to talk about themselves or what's going on in their life, their job, their health, their, their status, their achievements, etc. And sometimes, you know, you, you wonder why you ask the question, but no one will ever connect to Christ, have an encounter with God. If you, it's so simple. If you don't talk to them. Amen. Ephesians 3 says, 10 says, through the church, that's people, not a building, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 basically says that he's given you and me the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to help connect people, God to people. And there's something in the way, and we're to help make that encounter possible by removing those obstacles. We're his ambassadors, it goes on to tell us in verse 20. We're his messenger. We're modern-day translation. We're the paper boys and paper girls. The good news has been printed, but it's sitting at the end of the driveway if there's not a delivery system to give it away, and you and I are that. Amen? Amen. And when you talk about it, what do you talk about? Well, every person, since they're seeking sometimes 
and they're looking for things. You talk about abundant life. Look at, um, this is the next thing. You talk about abundant life. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Abundant life is really what he's talking about here. I'll try to explain this to you, but every person is seeking this. They're just looking for it in all the wrong places. Looking for love and no, you knew I was going to go there, right? Anyway, we all want peace. We all want joy. We all want satisfaction. I can't get, anyway, uh, significance, intimacy, all those kind of things, right? This is what abundant life is. It's not just some spooky spiritual term. Abundant life is, is about here and now. Abundant life is not offensive to people. It's not imposing religion on people. Not too long ago, I was talking to a friend from town, and we were having a sandwich together at a local sub shop. And I, I, uh, I wasn't eating like I used to, and he noticed it. In other words, I ate a lot, you know, and had kind of no holds barred a little bit at this particular place. And, and suddenly, I've got a salad and chicken and feta cheese. And like, he's like, what, you know? He basically thought I was a wuss. Anyway, what happened to you, you know? And I was just basically saying, well, you know, I don't... I don't really eat like that anymore. I kind of have a more disciplined eating habit since my surgery. What are you talking about? And I said, well, you know what? Earlier in the year, I had a bout with cancer. He goes, get the, and he swore, blah, blah, out of here. I said, well, I can, but, I, but I, I'd like to share the story with you <laughs> if I could. And uh, so I said, the truth is, I know it sounds kind of crazy and you're kind of shocked, but it was a blessing in disguise. He says, what are you talking about? And I said, well, if, if you want to know the truth, it, 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 I proceeded to tell him how my life was changed by God's intervention, using the circumstances, he didn't cause them, but leveraging them to kind of connect with me. And I, I told him how when I was in the hospital, I remember being up late one night, couldn't sleep, you know, all kinds of things, you know, uh, wrestling with in my mind, you know, what does this mean? I remember when I got the bad news that I had you know, that I had cancer, and I thought, my gosh, you know, and all these things. I had an encounter with God, and, and he met me in that room, and, and, I, and, and I told him how my life was totally changed since that day, and God told me he wasn't done with me yet, and, you know, he didn't do all this so that I'd go out and he'd kill me. He did all this to kind of redirect me and get me focused and make me strong, and I needed to learn, you know, to sometimes lean on others and not just myself, and, and uh, a lot of different lessons came through. Sometimes what we're going through, we need to be growing through. You know? Anyway, praise the Lord. Amen. After that, when, any, the point is, after that, when you tell a person a story like that, your story, whatever, they don't say, stop shoving that religion down my throat. I've never heard that. I don't hear that. If you, if you, don't, if you do get a response like that, you know what you might be doing? Shoving religion down their throat. It might not be abundant life. It might be religion. Many times I get into conversations with people and they say things more so now than in the past. But, you know, life must have been pretty good for you. It seems like, you know, great family, great kids, parents, all these different things, wonderful upbringing, all this kind of stuff. must have been pretty good, you know. And, and, and I said many things, in, in many ways it's true. My, my home life was great. I had great parents. They loved the Lord. Uh, you don't know the before and after. You don't know the B.C., A.C. life. My dad in the back, he knows what I'm talking about. But when I was growing up, I struggled with an extreme approval addiction. Let's call it that. You know, um, the, the Bible would call it the fear of man. The fear of man worketh the snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord is kept safe, the Bible says. But I was preoccupied with having everybody's approval. And what happened, for the sake of time, is I, I get to the point where I lost everybody's approval. That's what happens. That's what that addiction, every addiction is like a path. You start on it, looks like you're okay. But it just, you don't see where it's leading. You just look at what's the next step on the path. But where it's leading is destruction. 
And so I started, and everybody has different things that can take them out. And fear of man was my kind of uh, undoing. And I, I couldn't get anyone's approval. I was miserable inside, even suicidal at times. And one day I determined by my own strength, my own strength, to try to change and, and try to be real and try to be congruent. There's something in us that wants to be congruent. We hate the phony. We hate living behind the fig leaf. And so I decided that day to start with my girlfriend and tell her, what a phony I was, and I needed to follow God, and that she needed to know God too, and there was phoniness in her life, and you know what happened? It didn't go quite that way. <laughs> I failed again, because it was in my own strength, and, I used, and, I, and God used the circumstances though, and he went out of his way to save me through this particular situation, and, and this girl, her, her name was Noelle, she was my girlfriend, and I said, I, Noelle, I need to talk to you, I need to talk to you, and she said, no, no, I need to talk to you. I said, after school today, I'm going to meet you at your house, I've got to talk to you about something that's really important. You know, so do I, Derek. I need to tell you. Anyway, I got to her house, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that went with this. And she says, I need to go first. And I said, okay, go first. And she proceeded to tell me how her divorced father, who ran off with a prostitute, this prostitute gave, gave her heart to Christ and then told her father about how she, the encounter she had with God and God's grace and how, he, how God loved her in spite of all that she'd done wrong and, 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 and all the people she'd been with, that God would erase all that and take that all away. And then she shared that with her father. And then her father gave his heart to Christ. And then, and then he flipped her life upside down. And then he, her father, came to her and said, Noelle, I need to talk to you about the Lord. And, and she, he shared Christ with her. And then she gave her, Christ, her heart to Christ. And then the first person she felt like she needed to talk to to receive Christ was a Christian boy raised in a Christian home. And she came to me and said, you need Christ. You need to know Jesus. You need to encounter God. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. I said, you're right. But, but you don't know what I know. You don't know what I've been holding back on. So we had this incredible conversation, and it's too much to say. But later that night when I was driving home from her house, I encountered the grace of God, and, and I was actually instantly delivered from the fear of man. I became a bold believer. Need, need, needless to say, I had to tailor that a little bit because I got a little too free. Zeal without knowledge. Anyway, it's a long... But God told me he loved me, even in, even, even in my shame of him, even in my shame of others. And in fact, he had put all of that shame on himself on the cross, and I, I didn't grasp it until that day. I, had, I didn't grasp it until I was driving home that day, looking at how he orchestrated all these events so that I could encounter him. And I became a disciple that night, and he told me he, he couldn't love me any less or any more by what I did or would do in the future. He actually told me he, 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 could call, he, he called me my, his, my, his son and that he was proud of me. I thought, how could you be proud of me? I just cried. And, and I, I determined that that day to follow him wholeheartedly and never let the fear of man get between me and someone else knowing about that same God. It changed my life. God used another person to go through Samaria to reach me so that God could heal me and meet my deepest need. No one after hearing that kind of story says, stop forcing your religion on me. Stop imposing your beliefs on me. Just talk. Just talk about your story. It's a lie to think that when you talk about your life now compared to your life then that you're imposing your religion on people. Some people say, well, I, I never did drugs, and I don't have a story like that, and I don't have a story like this. It, doesn't have, it, can, be, it can be an outward change. It could be something that's going on inwardly. You might have struggled with you know, certain bad habits and addictions and things like that. You might have inward change. Talk about what's relevant to you because it's going to be relevant to someone else. 
I was insecure. You could say, maybe that's your story. I was afraid. I had unforgiveness. I was rejected. I was tormented by my thoughts. I hated myself. These are the kind of things that I've heard all my life. And you can talk about those inward things too, and it's relevant to people. Titus 3.9 says this. I talked about these three arguments already. Look at this text, because when we talk about abundant life, we don't go to these areas. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies. What's that? Race. Contentions. What's that? Reasonings. And strivings about the law. What's that? Religion. For they are unprofitable and useless. Talk about your story. Next, eternal life. Eternal life. i got to move way faster. John chapter 4 says this. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of the water, I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, you have to talk about their life before and what their life will be like after. Every person has a void. Listen, every person, you don't have to believe this, it's okay, but I believe with all my heart that every person has a void in their heart that only God can fill. I actually believe God put it there so that we would seek out for him. Acts, the Bible tells us that perhaps we would seek out or reach out for him, though he's not far from any one of us. That's, he put that inside of us to do that. It's an advantage, actually, that you have. And sometimes the enemy's trying to create disadvantages when in actuality you have advantages if you focus on the right thing. There's something in each one of us that wants to know about eternal things. We want to know about life after death. Uh, it's so common. I, I just spent time at two funerals in the last couple of weeks. And in one in particular, I was talking to these people and there's just blank looks on their face. And when I started to talk about heaven and eternity, I mean, they were so engaged. Because deep down, there's a void in their heart that only God can fill. And they want to know that's real and there are real answers for that. And I knew a guy that used to try to force eternal things on people. And my dad, my dad remember this guy, and he'd get up in front of the church, and, and he'd just blast people and just say, you're going to hell, you know, in a handbag. If you don't, no, 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 say the prayer. You're going to say the prayer? Well, I don't know. I'm not really. Do you want to go to hell? And then that's not the way to do it. That's not how you do it. People get on the, the elevators with great big Bibles, you know what I mean, in the first floor. By the time they get to the top floor, it's just them and their Bible because people are scared. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Here's the idea. We do our best by sharing our story, our testimony, and we let God do the rest. Amen? Here's another thing. We talked about this last week, and that is sin. That is sin. Sin. (laughs) There's a whole movement away from addressing sin anymore as believers, and there's an extreme overreaction to extreme (laughs) abuse. Abuse. I talked about truth terrorists, you know what I mean, and timid tolerance last week, and that kind of the, the contrast between those two. If you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to get that as we talked about the adulteress. But we can deal with sin and minister truth to people. We just have to consider the way we do it. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. And so the approach is so key. And Jesus was so good at this. The, whole, the first message should be, there is therefore now no condemnation. And then you come behind that with, hey, don't do that anymore because it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. Amen? That's the message. John chapter 4, verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Look at the questioning, right? Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. I love her response. She says, I perceive you are a prophet. (laughs) Very insightful, very insightful. here's, Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Sin was her attempt. Listen, listen how you can look at sin, Christians. Don't look at sin like, you know, it separates you from them. It separates them from God. It shouldn't separate you from them. 
Sinners love to be with Jesus, and Jesus loved to be with sinners. We, we, we let sin say, ooh, I can't, we don't want to get contaminated by them. Ooh, that's awful. That's religion. Sin is their attempt to meet their need. Sin at the root is our own personal attempt to meet. When you see it that way, you might behave differently with them. One of the barriers that, you know, the enemy always uses is, you know, is, you know, is our sin. And I, I, Jesus can't say this, but I can say this, but I, I, I'm not better than you. That's what I like to do with people sometimes. Just, I'm not better than you. We have, we've all made mistakes. All, all made mistakes. We all fall short. I like to say sometimes we all, we all need a mulligan, right? One of the barriers the enemy throws at us is he tries to get people to think that we think we're better than them. The truth is we're not better than them. We're just better off because we've accepted and we've experienced his grace. He gave us exactly what we needed, precisely what we needed, but exactly what we did not deserve. He gave us grace. And so that's why we're better off. We're just not better than. Can I have an amen out there? And so you don't have to avoid these subjects. The next one is relationship with God. Relationship with God. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither... Uh, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. What, what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He was always focusing on relationship with God. Always keep that in mind. It's not about religion. The next one is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Interestingly enough, Jesus talked about himself a lot. Not in the way we do, you know? If some, some of us, our personalities, if somebody doesn't praise us, we'll praise ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Men are really that way, you know what I mean? Honey, what do you think about this? Oh, it's okay. Then well, I did. You know, we just go off on how great we are, you know? I clean the dishes. I, I sing songs when I clean the dishes. You know, Dad's cleaning the dishes. I want everybody to know, all right? Anyway, Jesus talked about himself, but it wasn't like that. John chapter 4, verse 25 says, The woman said to him, I know Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. I love this verse. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. After she meets Jesus, her whole life is completely turned upside down. The hole in her heart is filled, and she's made whole. She says, come, come meet this man. Come meet the guy who told me everything I ever did, everything I ever, I ever. You know what? She didn't say this, but... But I believe this was, this was her intent because she wouldn't go out and say what she said. Come meet the man who told me everything I did and still loved me. And still loved me. You can help people encounter God, but don't argue with them. Just talk to them. As I conclude, I'll share one quick story and then we'll pray. There was this guy when, um, his name was Kevin. This guy like everybody, just like most guys. He was charming, he was witty, he was kind of funny, decent looking. I don't want to say too much about him. And, um, but he had a secret life. I think there's really no such thing as a secret, ultimately. But he had struggles, private addictions. And one of his biggest struggles was that his marriage was a farce. It was a facade. He was, in a, he, was in an, uh, a, he was having an affair on his wife. And then one day, his whole life turns upside down. It's a true story. Kevin was my friend. And he found out he had cancer, stage four melanoma. And, and his in-laws came to connect. And they called me immediately. He said, Pastor, you know, Tell me the situation. We began to pray, and I said, um, is, is there be any chance that I could talk to him? He said, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he will. Anyway, eventually he agreed to talk to me, and we sat down one day, and, and uh, he was kind of on the defensive. Arms crossed, strong nonverbal, you know, defensiveness, and, he's, and he basically, he, he, there was just kind of two things that he wanted. Number one is he wanted to argue, and number two, he wanted his old life back at all costs. 
And all he wanted, in other words, was to bait, to debate, and just get better physically. He didn't want to get better, be better. He just wanted to get better. But I wouldn't want argue with him. I just talked to him. And he had all kinds of classic arguments because I was trying to pull him in and talk to him about his relationship with God. And Anyway, I kept bringing him back to the spiritual problem. There's a root issue here, buddy, and that's why these different things have happened in life. That's why you're going where you're going. I've gone where you've gone. And ultimately, he just kind of, he wanted to just make a deal. That was his next step. I'll make a deal with you. I'll surrender my life to God if he heals me. He was at least honest. And I said, hey, Kev, God doesn't, God doesn't make deals like that. You know, he's way less interested in the now, and he's way more interested in the f- forever. He's way less interested in your comfort, and he's way more interested in your character. You're so caught up in this life, and you hold on to it so tightly, and God wants you to wear it like a loose garment and have a much more eternal focus. Kevin, God doesn't make deals like that. He's, 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 he looks at things totally differently. He didn't cause this, but he might be trying to use it to get to you, and you've decided if, you're, if you are going to grow through what you're going through, you, you're going to have to face things in a different light, and and, I, and, I, and then I proceeded to just say, Kevin, you know what? I think I have this feeling you think I'm judging you. I don't judge you. I don't judge you. Everything you're telling me, you know, I know you're holding back a bunch of stuff, but I don't, I don't judge you. I've made tons of mistakes, and those mistakes separated me from God just like they're separating you from God. And you got a sin problem, man. you got a sin problem. You have cancer, but you have cancer in your heart, and it's a bigger issue altogether. We can talk about the cancer in your body, but I'd like to talk about the cancer in your heart. Would you be willing to, to give your heart to Christ? Would you, would you be willing to heal that cancer first? And you know what he said? He said, yes, I would, because I'm miserable. Honestly, Pastor Derek, I'm miserable. And the duplicity of my life is killing me. I said, I bet it is. Living this life and then trying to live this life, I bet, he says, it's killing me. I said, I, I bet it is. And you know what? He said, um, can I tell you some stuff? And he proceeded to tell me all his sins. I said, oh, you don't need to do this. But then I realized, you know what? James 5 tells us that confess your faults one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. I believe he was, he was, the cancer in his soul was being healed while he was telling me these things. And then he said, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. What do I need to do? I said, we just need to talk. We just need to pray. Talk to God. And he, he on his own, he got down on his knees. It was right downstairs in the, in the office that was downstairs. He got down on his knees. He pulled the chair away. And he started crying out to God, saying, forgive me of my sins, God. I repent to you. And I led him to Christ. And Kevin was gloriously saved. And four months later, four months later, plus or minus, Kevin, Kevin died. I remember praying for him every single day. Every single day, I get up early in the morning, get down on my knees, on my knees, and pray for his physical healing as well. But he, he, he didn't come back. And, and, and I did the eulogy at the Catholic Church, which is another story for another day. But <laughs> I, I told them all, because of grace, Kevin will spend eternity with Jesus. I remember his wife crying and being so grateful. And it wasn't his works or penance or how many times he took the Eucharist or any of that kind of stuff, but it was because of Jesus' finished work that was done already that he is now in heaven. And the point is this. Jesus is relevant to all of us. Uh, Jesus is the answer, is the hope to healing all of our human needs, our human maladies, the real cancer in our lives. Jesus must be shared. And there are many Kevins here and out there with cancer in their lives. We must tell them. The woman at the well realized this, and in John 4 she said, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? In verse 39 it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me everything that I ever did. Our job is to introduce people to the only one who can meet their deepest 
deepest need. Would you stand and pray with me? With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to quickly ask a question because I believe the Holy Spirit is in the room. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. I'm not going to call anybody down front. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But just between me and you, God, every head bowed, every eye closed, please honor the person to your right or to your left so they can have an encounter with God. It could be, it could be seconds. It could change your life forever. I've been in my car and felt the presence of God and had a conversation with him. It changed my life. I've been in a hospital room and in seconds had an encounter with God and changed my life. You could be standing here at Connect Community Church and in seconds God changed your life. Are you thirsty? Is there something that is trying to meet that need that only God can meet? And you realize today the only one that can meet that need, the only one that can touch that part of your soul that affects every other part of your life is Jesus and you want to know him. You're ready to call upon the name of the Lord and say, save me. You're ready to do a Kevin and surrender all and not try to make a deal with God anymore. If that's you, would you raise your hand and just say, Pastor, would you pray for me right where I'm at? I don't want to miss that. Anybody? God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Good and high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, sir. Anybody else in the back? I don't want to miss anybody. That's me. I don't want to miss it. Thank you. Thank you. Keep a good and high. Keep a good and high if that's you. Church, just pray this with me. And those that raise your hand, pray this with me. This prayer won't save you. Believe it in your heart will. Say, Jesus, see me. See my heart right now. I choose to surrender my life to you today. I mean it. I don't want to do life my own way. I don't want to try to get my needs met another way. I know only you can meet my deepest needs. I put my trust, my faith, and my hope in what you did. I want to be in relationship with you, not religion with you or about you. Come into my heart right now. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, seal that prayer. Many people pray prayers and they don't mean them, but I pray that that prayer is heard from honest, sincere hearts. Lord, you look from heaven and you see these people's lives. I pray they encountered you right now. And their name now, the Bible says it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it's important that they tell somebody and give it away in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap, would you? Praise the Lord. Church, let's make sure that we um, take what we heard today and apply it to every day this week. You know, don't just leave it at the door when you leave and just kind of forget about it. Take it with us and let's share it with somebody else, okay? A few things I just want to highlight.